You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 126 and today I have a very special guest, Mike McDermott, the uh, co-founder of FreshBooks. Mike, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, James. This is, uh, I feel like it's not every day we have the founder of a uh, such a well-known platform on the show. So it's very, uh, very cool that you've uh, come on. And I think uh, I've read a bit about your story uh, and, and just fresh books and some of the things you've been through. And I think this is going to be an awesome chat. So just quickly, for the people that don't know FreshBooks, uh, can you start with a little bit of an introduction about, you know, you and how, you know, what FreshBooks is and how you got started? Yeah, I, I was running a, uh, uh, I mean, it's a relatable story for, for many uh, uh, who are listening, I'm sure. I, I was running a small agency. I started out by myself. We got to about four people. They were sort of subcontractors at one point. And I was using Microsoft Word and Excel to bill my clients. And then, you know, one day I, I saved over an invoice and said, you know, there's just got to be a better way to do this. And I had just started uh, to build some small applications for clients. So I built a piece of software that I could use to, to build my clients and um, they liked it. And I really just built it for myself and then started to ask myself, you know, are there other people who are going to like this? And so that was, that was the beginning of FreshBooks. Uh, we ended up moving into my parents' basement for three and a half years. We were making a hundred dollars after, you know, the first two years we're making a hundred dollars a month, which uh, for like three founders, is just not, not that great, but uh, we stuck with it. And uh, yes, uh, moved into the parents' basement, got out of there when we had about six people showing up to my parents' place every day, a <laughs> uh, couple thousand customers. And now, um, yeah, now we're you know about 500 people, got paying customers in 100 countries around the world. And um, you know, I know some listeners are, are based in America, but we're number two in America for small business accounting software, and you know, sort of uh, equally well placed in a variety of other markets around the world. So it's been uh, it's been quite a run. And I, I think actually, maybe if I just run a little long on this, I think That's the okay. thing that is sort of special and different about FreshBooks, and again, might be relevant to this audience, is we don't really serve retail or restaurant small business owners. We're, we're built for service based, small service based business owners. So folks who really get paid for their time, their knowledge, their expertise. And so, you know, really agency owners and, and companies of that nature. And uh, by, by choosing not to serve everybody, we've been able to keep the product really simple and easy to use, available on all the usual platforms. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's a bit about us, where mm. we come from, really ridiculously easy to use, uh, you know, client billing and accounting software. Yeah. And look, I've always been a fan of sort of a master you know, versus jack of all trades versus master of like versus being a master in something. And that like, I totally gel with that idea of having a niche focused product rather than trying to serve everyone. Because like you said, it it allows a simpler interface. If you try to serve everyone, things get really complex. And, you know, because we've, we've been using uh, zero just because it's in Australia. It was, it, that was the thing that everybody used. Um, 
And like, I don't even go, I barely go in there anymore because it's <laughs> so many things going on that I just leave it up to the bookkeepers at this point. Uh, but yeah, look, I've seen fresh books getting tons of uh, positive reviews from the you know freelance and agency community. So uh, obviously doing something right. Now, for the topic of this uh, episode, we've been talking about embracing, uh, you know, imposter syndrome and fear. And I really like this this topic especially because it's coming from you right like if, if you if you're getting if you're getting imposter syndrome when you're running a company of 500 staff it's pretty clear that it's like a a thing that doesn't go away or it's a thing that everyone deals with um you know because i see it all the time in facebook groups in, of agencies where people are basically don't feel confident enough or whatever and it's like you know it sounds like it's just something you got to deal with um everyone has it like you're not I guess it's 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 kind of reassuring <laughs> that you that you yeah. still like get it. So I'd just like to hear some some of the tips and stuff you have around around imposter syndrome. Like how, how come you still get it? Yeah, well let's let's talk about it a little bit because I, I, I feel like it's such an important part of the entrepreneurial journey. And I'm not even sure people even necessarily know it's affecting them sometimes. Uh so I mean I'd almost let's just uh, you know go there for a second. Uh, I just think it's a real, here's what I, you know, it's a root cause for me if you're you're living right and, and putting yourself in challenging circumstances where you, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? If you don't have imposter syndrome going on in your life, like you're really probably not challenging or growing yourself enough or, or taking either enough risk or, or what have you, because, you know, that's, uh, and, you know, I can go through a week for sure, or, you know, longer sometimes and, and have no imposter syndrome because I'm just going through the stuff and getting stuff done. But then, but then, you know, you have either whether it's a meeting coming up or, um, you know, I don't know, pick, pick whatever it is, <laughs> it, it bubbles up. And I, I just, I just want to go ahead. And the first thing to say on this is, you know, I think it's a, it's a very healthy thing, right? It's something that motivates you to, to keep going. I think the challenge is if you get paralyzed by it and you kind of can't go through it or you choose not to do things because of that, that fear. And I think that's the, you know, that's the, the real downside of it. I think some people just, you know, stop before they start, uh, which which is a shame, right? Uh, because, you know, you don't even know what your potential is if you don't kind of walk through that door and, you know, accept that whatever that door is, it could all go horribly wrong on the other side of it. But, uh, you know, there's sort of more uh, more merit in just, just stepping through it than um, staying where you're safe. Yeah, I love the the whole idea of reframing it as uh, basically you're growing. It's it, you're facing imposter syndrome when you are in a period of growth. Essentially, when you've you know you when you're in a situation that's going to force you to learn new things or to do something you haven't normally done, like that's and that should be exciting, right? So I, I like that way of of looking at it. I think that you know it's possible to probably take it too far, you know, like if you take on a project that's just so far beyond your level of technical capability, then that's probably a bit much. Yeah, you don't want to get to a place where you're basically completely incompetent, uh, you know, because you've stretched yourself so far, right? That's you know that yeah. doesn't. Uh, you know, nobody wants me to, you know, in the business world, maybe I'm driving a Formula One racing car, but like to actually drive a Formula One racing car, how can I track without me? No, thank you. Like, that's, that's just not, I'm not equipped, right? So uh, that is uh, that, you know, other people have those those talents and those skills and that expertise developed. And so, yeah, I think that I think that's an element of it. But I, I, I do think if you are learning and growing and progressing and improving, 
you know, every time you're feeling imposter syndrome, it's, it's like a test. It's like you're in school, you're writing an exam or something. And it's like, you took the course, you're probably going to be okay. The question is how well you're going to do. And so, you know, that's a kind of an analogy for me. And you want, you want to keep growing and improving your skills out. So that's, uh, yeah, it's a, I just think it's a part of, of professional life and a life well-lived. And, uh, and I think as soon as you start looking at it that way, it really does reframe it and, and, and gets you thinking pretty differently about the whole experience. Yeah, I, I'm like starting to think that it could even be, become exciting. Like if you actually make an effort to reframe it in your mind, like so when you're facing that feeling, whatever it is, or, you know, even just fear of, of doing something, actually, you know, if you're able to reframe it in your mind as a way of, you know, oh, look, I get to grow, you know, I'm going to get to learn something new. It could actually become exciting rather than just a, a thing. Has it ever been debilitating for you? I, I think that's a really healthy frame. I, I um it's certainly been a loud voice in my head. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm generally, at least in, in sort of building fresh books, like there's kind of only one direction and there's sort of no going back, right? There's, there's onwards. And there's various times where it's been like a, you know, very loud, continuous thing. And there's times where it's pretty quiet for a month and then it rears its head again because mm. you're, you know, you're stepping out of your comfort zone. And that's, uh, again, I think a, a good dynamic. So debilitating, you know, no, um, you know, d- take its toll, right? If you got a long run of like, how am I going to get through all this stuff, right? Yeah. And then all these people are looking at me like I have all the answers and I'm like, <laughs> you know, don't tell anybody I'm figuring this out as I go along. You know, that's, uh, and, and so are they. So I don't hold them to account for uh, for for not doing it. I think that's the, as soon as you can, as, as long as you don't get distracted, in my experience, as long as you don't, um become beholden to the narrative in your head and, and think that, you know, like, A, anyone can hear what's in your head and B, that they don't have that, own, that the same dialogue going on in theirs. Like, mm. you, you're okay. Yeah, I think that's that's actually pretty key there because, like, I just feel like I asked that whether it's debilitating because I feel like, you know, if it's, there's a scale, right? For some people, it's it's worse than others. And they, like you said earlier, so, you know, if it, if it gets in the way and makes you stop doing things, then it's bad. But, um, you know, I think one of the best things, and this is why I wanted to talk about this with you is just knowing that everyone feels the same, you know, like to me, that's helped to know that, you know, if everyone feels like they're just working it out as they go, then it's probably not so bad. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, again, as long as you're not, you work going so far out of your comfort zone that you're incompetent, but the fact that other people are dealing with it and the fact that like, this is maybe not so much a popular opinion, but like if I find someone who like people look up to and I think they're full of shit, <laughs> that helps me as well. You know, like I've seen, especially in the online yeah, yeah, marketing yeah. game, like yeah, there's just yeah. bro marketers with it. Like everyone's like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. I'm like, he is so full of it. You know, and if the fact that he like, he's like just talking out his ass and all these people look up to him, like that helps me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta have those things that you can uh you comfort yourself uh you know with it at night for sure i i yeah no it, it is it is interesting everybody's just you know on a journey right and mm. you know i think if you have any ambition uh and you know when i say ambition i mean the, the kind of right kind of ambition you want to make something better you want to you know challenge yourself uh you know grow yourself it's it's just it's just part of the mix yeah totally and like on this note, I'd like to sort of transition into a bit of a story about FreshBooks because um, I was reading reading the story about how you guys spun off basically a competitor to yourself. And I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing that before. Uh, I mean, maybe someone has, I just don't know. But 
I can't imagine the level of, you know, imposter syndrome and fear you had going through something like it. it's almost like blazing new territory. Can you, uh, I'd like to get into the, uh, you know, the fear side of it eventually, but for now, can you sort of let listeners know a little bit about like why, like what happened, you know, with this competitor and why you did it? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's do this story. So yeah, we, we, uh, we, we did this thing. I'm not sure anyone's ever done it either, James. So I, uh, we, we have a long history, uh, in my opinion, of, of solving uh, business problems in unusual and creative ways at FreshBooks. And uh, in this particular instance, we basically, the way we developed our software application you know, was the founders who were not professional software developers got started. Now we've had a lot of success and because we weren't professional software developers, there was what's called this big, you know, technical debt. And the, yeah. the software just wasn't really set up to continue to progress, you know, in the directions we wanted it to, uh, on the pace we wanted to, with the number of people who now, you know, work on and actively improve it every day. And so uh, we basically came up against this decision that we needed to go ahead and, re, you know, or we decided to go ahead and rewrite the software. And we did that for our own set of reasons. Um, I don't know how deep people want to go into all this stuff, but yeah, effectively we just recognized that our technical problem was one of the front, like parts of our technology were glommed together in ways they shouldn't have been. And we wanted to provide innovation on user experience. And, and to do that, we just need to rewrite the software. Anyway, long story short, that opened up a series of other problems, which is, you know, we don't know, how long it's going to take. I'm a big fan of sort of stealth in business. I have people who are going to listen, competitors who are going to listen to this podcast to figure if I give any nugget about the business and <laughs> it's just a weird world to live in. So literally yeah. kind of being watched and, and uh, I like stealth. So I didn't want to you know, spend two years developing a new offering and, and, you know, have people just kind of watching along. I also wanted to create an environment where teams could take enormous risks and uh, in, in right. you know, my experiences, if you have a brand and people trust that brand, it's very hard to take big risks. Yeah, no, I 100% like on board with that. Like as the company gets bigger, it definitely feels like you can take less risks. Yeah, it, I, it, is, it is very hard. This is where founders are pretty handy people to have in the building because they kind of got the moral authority and, and maybe the, you know, the fearlessness to go ahead and, uh, you know, make, make the big bet in, in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. But but in our case, it was like, yeah, choosing to to rewrite the software is a scary thing, and then you know, doing it by creating our own competitor. This is this is what we ended up doing, and it's because we wanted to have the stealth, we wanted to create the conditions where people could take it a risk outside of people people watching us. So we created another company called Bill Spring. We went there and and um, we we created we started building a new version of our offering, and it was sort of simpler and all these things. This One is of the from other the ground up. From the that, that's up. right from the ground up and we even like we incorporated another company it had its own logo its own website oh, wow. couldn't connect the two <laughs> and then and then we started you know sort of purchasing advertising and comparing the performance of the two platforms and that was another thing like when you build a new piece of software like your team thinks it's great but what does the market think empirically right like you know if you bring two prospects up and they go to both sites like which do they choose and why and so that's another reason we wanted to to have a competitor is to know are we just kind of getting high on our own supply with regards to the new platform because we think it's great or is it actually actually better? So anyways, those are all the reasons we built a new new platform. But, um, you know, inside the building, and I think this is maybe where you're heading, I, I don't know, but inside your building, this active replatforming your software 
is like an existential threat in a software business. Uh, you could imagine, you know, in, in the automobile business, if you have a perfectly working model of your car, but you need to, you know, change the chassis or like, it can just introduce a whole bunch of new risks, which you didn't anticipate at the start, but you weren't planning on and you just don't know. And so mm. anyways, that was our story. And, um, and so leading through that was, yeah, was, was really like, got to get people to buy into this thing, go there and then sustain it. And interestingly, we were literally, when we launched uh, new fresh books, literally six, eight weeks before that, we didn't even know if we were going to be able to finish and get the kind of two paths to go back together again, to bring it out. So, so which just gives you a sense of kind of the drama at play. People were really excited, but the leaders were just every day waking up being like, I don't know if we can land the plane. I don't yeah. know if we can get it back to being something that we can put out there for people. And, um, and I think everyone who's a part of that whole journey will look back and say, it was some of the most taxing time of my life, but also some of the most fulfilling. And it was mm. at the heart of that is like, you're growing like a mile a minute because you're, everything's so uncertain and you know, you're asking people to follow you and you don't even know if you can finish the job. I mean, it's like, it's, anyways, that was, so that was, um, yeah. sustained period for myself and other leaders of the organization of like, can we even pull this off? Yeah. So I'd like to circle back on that, but there's one thing you said just before that I'd really like to highlight for the audience around like um, getting the, I don't remember the words you said, but it was essentially like the fact that you were competing with yourself was like getting real feedback, you know, like if someone would compare the two products and then tell you that they went with Bill Spring, it was called, right? It was the, was yep. your, yeah. Um, yeah. Like that is like real feedback because it's people voting with their wallet. Right. Uh, and I feel like this is something that a lot of people uh, don't do enough. Like they ask people for feedback on things like, Oh, would you buy this? Or would you, would you pay for this? And like, people are going to just say yes to not hurt your feelings. So the fact that you've, you know, you can now see that people are comparing things and like that's real feedback when someone just doesn't sign up for your product and they sign up for something else. So I just really like that, um, that side of things. Now, just quickly. So you mentioned, um, a merge there as well. So like at some point, I'm guessing you decided that what you were getting rid of the old fresh books and then bill spring was becoming the new fresh books. Is that how it worked? Do you manage WordPress sites for your clients? If so, you should probably check out WP remote. It's a central platform to manage all of your sites in one place. That includes security, malware, uptime monitoring, and it's even got a built-in staging system. But my favorite feature is the visual regression system that will give you an alert if something breaks on an update so you can get in there and fix it. It was created by the same people behind BlogVault and Melcare. Now, BlogVault is one of the best backup plugins I've used, and it's also trusted by some of the biggest WP maintenance agencies out there like GoWP, WP Buffs, WP Valet. So if these guys rely on it, you know it's rock solid. You can try WP Remote for free and get 10% off any of the paid offerings by going to wpremote.com slash highway. Now let's get back to the show. That is with it with a twist, which is we, we kept uh, FreshBooks Classic, we called it around for, um, you know, considerable period of time. And, okay. and, you know, with the assumption that, you know, hey, we think this new thing's great. And we've got data that says it's performant. But, you know, people, we had like an NPS score of like 65 on, on FreshBooks Classic. So there was no logical reason to go and rebuild mm-hmm. it. And so rather than have people you know, choose to feel like they're being forced to a new platform that maybe isn't quite as ready for them. We just let them decide when they would be going. 
and right. over a number of years continued to work on new fresh books until you know it was sort of superior and it was natural for people to move over so um i, I hopefully that that answers your question so on the one yeah. hand yes it, it started to be that everyone knew who signed up for fresh books got the new fresh books but then we didn't force people to move over from classic to new for for a while did you uh do you reckon you pissed many people off in that process like I'm sure you did. You pissed off some, but because that's just humorous. But we, yeah, no, no. Well, we, let me tell you about something. When you have enough customers, um, <laughs> it is uh, there's there's kind of no perfect move to make anymore. No. Uh, and so we, uh, we, which is you know just a great privilege and, and luxury. And so I don't, uh, you know, that is that is what it is. So yes, we absolutely had people who uh, really liked the new fresh books out of the box. But actually, in the very early days, we had a lot of people who were like, "Send me back," and we we enabled them to move back. Okay. Um, because they're like, Hey, this thing's just not ready. It's not as good. And over time we learned like, Hey, which segments of our customer base is new fresh books really ready for. And then therefore what's missing in the other. And uh, there's a whole bunch of lessons. If you're ever going to go ahead and replatform your software, <laughs> by all means reach out. I've got a, you know, kind of got a doctorate in this now, if you will, a PhD, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it, it was, you know, we, we learned a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, it makes for a challenging couple of years, but I, I think we've set the future of the company up on a much better, uh, you know, long-term way based on, based on these choices. And that's, oh, that's I, the important thing. I totally believe that, you know, and like, I, I've even heard this as a topic on the startups for the rest of us podcast, you know, like about replatforming, like when do you, if you decide that your current code base is just too limiting, which happens all the time in software, right? Uh, especially, you know, when the product changes as you grow, uh, you know, because of different customer feedback, maybe you go in a different direction, whatever it is, there can be reasons that you need to just start again. And like, that is a yeah, massive undertaking. And like, you know, how, how do you handle that with your current clientele? And like, I can't even imagine the the migrations that you would have had to build to get people to be able to go between the two. Like, ugh. Like that, we we are like we're dealing with tons of technical debt, but thankfully we weren't. I guess <laughs> thankfully we weren't as successful as you <laughs> at, at that point because you, you know you probably we're, weren't. Uh, you're probably more competent in your software development at the outset. Um, you know, <laughs> well, I, no, I, was, uh, <laughs> I think everybody does. We had an advisor once. Since we're on the topic, in uh, he uh, he he had a he had a very successful um, business. He was actually one of the founders of Rackspace, if you know them. And oh, so yeah. we were, uh, we, we were involved with him. And so he was a non-technical founder and he invited his technical founder of Rackspace up to come and have a look at us. Uh, and he was like, in the assessment came back and he, his name is Pat. And Pat was like, Mike, here's the deal. You guys suck at technology, <laughs> but you solved the hard problem. You built something people love and want to pay you for. That's the hard thing. Right. And you can yeah. kind of fix the technology. And so I, I like to think we're actually pretty good at technology now. Uh, but, uh, you know, the founders weren't and uh, we left, uh, you know, some some stuff in our wake. But I but I do think this notion of solving a customer problem and building something people love is the most important thing. And so our technology was not pretty, but it was getting that job done. And so I think, um, you know, if you're thinking about replatforming, think long and hard about whether it's the right idea. Uh, mm. It probably is something that sounds really desirable to uh, members of the team and is, is probably riskier than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've just heard that like everyone that has done it has some similar story where there's just so many things that you just didn't think of. Um, and it, and, you know, becomes a big problem, but um, 
I know uh, just so we can sort of keep this on on track for you because I know you don't have too much time. Um, there, there's so much more I'd like to talk about in that story, um, but, you know, I don't know how relevant it is to agency, <laughs> agency owners, just like selfishly. I want to ask a bunch of questions, but um, I'd like to talk back on like the fear topic. I can't imagine what it was like handling a team through this process. Like, did you have pushback? from the team and and I'm guessing like did that make you doubt yourself and you had to push through it anyway so you know in our case uh and this is a question I get a lot um and I'll 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 tell you what I you know hear from people it's like oh did you have you know one team that was like the innovation team off in a corner and (laughs) everyone everyone wanted to be on that team and it was like competitive or or whatever or there's all kinds of variants of this thing because it's just hard to do this stuff yeah I I will say um, just culturally what we have going for us at FreshBooks is we're really close to the customer and uh, everyone spends their first month in customer service and so what started out was we put a small team up in in like basically a, an office for two weeks where they had basically a milestone to say, can you put forward a, a vision for a user experience and design that would be good enough to even contemplate doing this? And so they went up in the loft for two weeks and they came back with something and that was the first milestone. And it's like, okay, you now have a month to, can you make a prototype that's going to kind of, you know, get us. And so they had a month and that was it. So they were constantly like running towards these like milestones where it's like, hey, and I was like, I'll kill your project. You got to get there. So, th- so that's like, well, because I, I like a real startup might die. Right. Mm. And if you get very comfortable inside a larger organization, like you're just never going to get there. Mm. And so that was kind of the approach we took to kind of create the urgency that was necessary and, and the focus. Right. So the milestones were time bound and specific and we went kind of along the way. And so um, j- just back to inside the organization, People, you know, started out as kind of a few people up in a loft, and then it was like a team, and then it was like a third of the company, and then it was two-thirds of the company, and that was a third of the company. And so we we didn't hide it off in the corner. So the jealousy and stuff didn't go on there. And um, and so it was pretty open. And so like fear or whatever, it's like, no, this is all above board. I think that it was more um, yeah, and people who were not working on the project yet were like, I can see why I'm doing what I'm doing. We have a lot of customers. This is really important. And so it wasn't like people were feeling like their, their work didn't have value. And so, so the dynamic was not really one of fear, aside from the leaders who had to hit the next milestone and kind of motivate the team to kind of getting there. So, and that's more urgency. And, and that's a lot of, you know, hey, how do I lead people to this when I don't even know what we're building or where we're going and we only have this much time to, time to kind of clear a hurdle? Like that's, that's hard stuff. So mm. I was, uh, that was, you know, sort of tough to watch. And that was mostly, I kind of, you know, sort of shared that, uh, or really some other people were wearing it, but they were also super excited. Like it was their project, mm. which which was a powerful kind of leadership thing to see people owning it. Like, you know, like I had the first version of the product, right? Uh, it was pretty wild. So, and very powerful. Yeah. Like that's one thing I'm only sort of recently starting to learn is just like how awesome people can be when you give them ownership of something. Like, I guess we haven't hired that many people in the past or, you know, never, maybe I just haven't given people enough 
leeway to just do like to own something and the yeah we've got people on our team now that i'm just like mind blown i was like oh wow like <laughs> i didn't know this was possible so it's like really changed the way i view hiring and, and team building so you've obviously been through this at a much bigger scale but um you know like i can just imagine like if you gave you know a couple of developers on your team a whole new project like they'd be super excited by that <laughs> i can i can see that it is, um, you know, people are, are, are remarkable and wonderful. And, uh, and I will say, I think these people were remarkable before they started. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is, hey, can you surround yourself with people who are, are extraordinary and, and then just challenge them, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, put them in an environment where they, you know, they, they, they need to figure out how to get to the other side of the you know, the, the pond or whatever it is, which is like a, a legitimate challenge. I think that's, that's a lot of fun. How do, you, how do you give people an appropriate level of challenge where you're not trying to set them up to fail, but where it's, you know, they, they know they don't know how they're going to pull it off. That is a, uh, you know, I, I have one of the leaders on our executive team today and, you know, we have this uh, ongoing dialogue. He talks about like, okay, I know I'm, you know, like, I know I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to pull this off, but I've been through this enough, enough times, like since I've been in this chair that I know we're going to figure it out. And that's all I need. Right. And so I, I think that's an interesting you know, twist on all this. And and that is uh, it's fun. And he's you know, so now he's like, oh, you can give him more stuff. And, you know, he's uh, going to get to the other side of it. So I um with, with less pain for him because you don't want that. That's a you know, that's a psychological tool. But uh, he's learning. So that's- that almost comes <laughs> that almost comes full circle back on the imposter syndrome thing. It's like if you if you've had imposter syndrome enough, you know that you'll get through that project. <laughs> you know, like you'll know you'll work it out at some point. Well, that's his coping mechanism. He's like, I've been through this enough time. And I actually think that's the treadmill of growth, right? Is you put yourself in that scenario. Maybe it's a new client engagement. Maybe you go from the $10,000 project to the $80,000 project. Hmm. And it's like, I don't know if we can take something on that's that's big. And the first $80,000 project is like an all hands on deck. Like, you know, you're really thinking. And then, you know, fast forward, I don't know, 24, 36 months, it's like, I wouldn't take on a project that's less than eighty thousand dollars, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, you know, and by the way, I'll delegate those to people now. So it's it's a you know, it's a completely different um, you know. You, you just learn, and that that's building competence. You don't know how to do mm-hmm. it the first time. Then you you know, the second time is like ten times easier than the first time, and you can do it faster and better. And then by the time you've done three or four of them, it's like you know, it's it's a challenge. And then you've done ten, like it's boring. So that, that to me is, uh, and you're taking on more size and scale. So that, I think that's the job for each of us as, as kind of humans is to put ourselves into those situations and mm-hmm. try and, you know, try and try and expose ourselves to trying to have us in those conditions. And I think this is a, the job of leadership as well, to create the conditions where people are challenged, but there's enough guardrails where they're set up for success. Love it. I, and just on, on that, like, you know, that, that $80,000 project thing, I, I think, I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day about exactly this, you know, it's easy to look at the end state that somebody's in and say, oh, like, I can never do those $100,000 projects that those people are doing. I can't, you know, but because, but what you haven't seen is the fact that they've gone through all those iterations to get there and you can do it as well. You know, and my friend who I was speaking to, um, he does these like marketing um, strategy sessions for was it like construction and architects. I can't remember engineering something like this. And I'm talking to him going like, how do you even know like this industry? Like, did you work in it before? He's like, Oh no. And like, 
and we sort of took it he went back and he was like you know march this year we had no idea what the hell we were doing we just uh we took on this one project and we decided we liked it so now we work with those companies and um i look back at the what we did then i think it was just absolute trash and and uh now we're, we're like you know they're just knocking it out of the park so that is just like a perfect again the same kind of thing where it's like you didn't see the journey you're just like how are you in this position you know, and that was March this year where they were in, in the deep end and had no idea what they were doing. And now they're good. Well, I think that just goes to show the value of not being debilitated and just, you know, doing something and trying. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, people talk about failure or whatever, like you're not going to fail every time. And it's actually quite liberating once you do once or twice, and then you realize you survive. Like you're going to, you know, in almost every case, and I don't want to, you know, be sort of black and white and, in, in uh, or like, you know, sort of totally binary in the thinking, but um, you know, you're, you're probably going to, you, you, you're probably going to figure it out. And yeah. even if, and if you, if it falls on its face, then you're going to learn a lot and you'll be really set up to do fun, fun fact, my web design business. Um, I think I got sued by my first two clients and I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? Like, you know, it was, it was, and, and I honestly, like in one case, I was like, you're kidding me. I, you know, they, I, I could tell you the story, but they were unfounded. Nothing came of it like at all. Yeah, Cause they, they were, there was no, there was no case. These were kind of like proved to be fairly small minded people who were kind of nickeling and diming on something and, right. you know, for no good reason and didn't have a leg to stand on or anything like that. But it was quite a, um, a welcoming into the world of being a small business owner, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, and then it's like, okay, you survive. I had somebody steal some work we did for them and like not pay us and take it and go and use it on their website. I built like a logo and I was like, what? Anyways. And then it's mm-hmm. like, you know what? I was mad. I was really mad. Um, but you move on. Right. Yeah. And you learn. And then it's like, okay, how do I, you know, and yeah, anyhow. So what, what is the point? I, um, I just, I just think you, the, the, the right thing to do is to try that marketing, you know, program or whatever it was that person did, and you just don't know where it leads. And and then you'll look back and you'll say, wow, look at how much I learned, how much we changed. So this is not, this is all stuff everybody on the call probably knows, but you know, probably forgets. Uh, and it's good to go back to and just, you know, take some of those leaps and, and don't hold yourself to the standard of perfection. Boom. I think uh, that is a really great place to, to leave the audience and, and, and end this, Mike, unless there is something you think you'd like to, to cover right before we finish. No, I think that's great. Uh, James, thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, stay safe, everyone out in the, the, the COVID diaspora. <laughs> Yeah, and have a, have a good Christmas and break. I hope some some agency owners listening to this are actually going to take some time off because I know many of you don't or don't think you can. Uh, so, I mean, over this, like, you know, which is the 17th of December as we record this, I think this will go out probably just before Christmas. Um, maybe you're listening to this on the break and that's totally okay. I don't count that as working <laughs> as long as you've taken some time off. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for this. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. Is uh just quickly though, um, where can people go to find out more about you other than just freshbooks.com? <laughs> but oh right, other than freshbooks.com, that's probably the best place these days. You can find me at uh, at Mike McDermott on Twitter as well, nice. which uh, you know, I am uh, an infrequent poster or <laughs> you know, on LinkedIn, but uh, yeah, those are those are the places.
Brilliant. All right, guys. Uh, thanks again, Mike. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you think will get something out of it. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to see you in the next episode. Have a great Christmas. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.